afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Linda House. I'm the president of the Cancer Support Community, and it's my pleasure to be sitting here today for our regular host, Kim Tibaldo, who is away. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today, as a part of our special series, Spotlight on Metastatic Breast Cancer, we're going to talk about a subject that is very dear to my heart and truthfully suffers from tremendous misunderstanding and, for me, heartbreaking underutilization. We're going to be talking about palliative care and, in particular, how its services can help people living with metastatic breast cancer. Although there is no cure for patients who have metastatic breast cancer, patients are living longer than ever before, with a notable percentage living five years more, some even ten or many longer. I'm reminded of a show that I hosted just a few years ago, a couple of years as a matter of fact. My guest at the time was Amy Berman, and Amy was diagnosed with stage 4 inflammatory breast cancer. And at the time of her diagnosis, there was only about an 11 to 20% chance that she would survive for five years. And that was, I guess it was seven years ago now that I think about it. And Amy is still living with her disease. And she's not only living, but she's thriving. If you go back and listen to that show and, and read some of her blogs, You know, she was presented with her treatment option, but they were really aggressive, and she decided that she would manage her care in a very proactive way, and she's been living the best life she could, and she has climbed the Great Wall of China, she's jet skied to the Statue of Liberty, and she's gone camelback riding in the Jordanian Desert, so she really um, is living the idea of an empowered patient and palliative care. Today's conversation is extremely important because we know integrating palliative care early as a part of the patient's metastatic breast cancer treatment plan can make a significant difference in improving the quality of life for both the patient and the caregiver, and those services just don't start soon enough. So to help us understand the benefits of palliative care and dispel many of the misconceptions around the service, walk us through how it can help someone facing a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis throughout their care continuum. We are so lucky to have Lori Bishop, who is the Vice President of Palliative and Advanced Care at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. I'm sure that once you hear Lori's background, you'll agree that we couldn't have asked for a better guest to guide us through this subject. Lori is a healthcare executive focused on innovative and transformational interdisciplinary care delivery models for the vulnerable and seriously ill. She has an extensive nursing background in hospice and palliative care, and prior to joining the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, Lori was the Chief Advanced Illness Management Executive for Sutter Health, serving an average of 2,500 seriously ill patients across Northern California. Under her leadership, Sutter Health AIM program received the inaugural Vanguard Award from the California Hospital Quality Institute. In her previous executive role at Unity Point Health, the system-wide integrated palliative care program received the prestigious Circle of Life Award in 2013. Lori is also a published author and national speaker. Thank you for joining us today, Lori. Thank you, Linda. It's my pleasure so to be a, with you. 
we have a lot to talk about, and I want to hear as much from you as I as I possibly can. Um, you know what? Let's just start with the definition of palliative care. What is palliative care, and who can benefit from it? Sure. Um, Simply put, palliative care is both a medical subspecialty and a philosophy of care. It's really focusing on addressing pain and other symptoms as well as stresses from a serious illness. It's not only person-centered but family-centered, and it's trying to optimize quality of life by anticipating, preventing, and treating suffering. Really, anyone with a serious or advanced illness can benefit from palliative care. And I'd like that you stated uh, the the goal of palliative care. Can you just repeat that in case our audience didn't didn't hear that? Absolutely. Really, the the goal is to relieve suffering, and that's done through the patient and family interacting with an interdisciplinary team. Mm-hmm. And and explain a little bit about uh, the difference between palliative care and hospice care. I know a lot of times people get those terms confused, and they're very. They're d- different, complementary, but very different. Can you tell us the difference? They are, they are complementary, but different. I like that you said that. Palliative care is appropriate at any stage of an illness and ideally um, should start at the time of diagnosis. It also is provided while someone is seeking aggressive treatment or concurrent with uh, aggressive treatment. While hospice care is actually a benefit for individuals with a limited life expectancy that are uh, focused on comfort care. Hospice includes coverage of medications and durable medical equipment related to life-limiting conditions. Because of their reimbursement structures currently, hospice care uh, can actually provide more care and services than palliative care, but because of its limits and its focused limits, um, palliative care can serve people for a much longer period of time and further upstream. And so, when you say a much longer period of time, what, what are the what are the time limits around palliative care? There really isn't a time limit on palliative care, uh, as we um, said a moment ago. It should be appropriate uh, at the time of diagnosis, and then whenever there is a need thereafter. The need can be um, pain and symptom management, or it can be emotional support, spiritual support, um, support with connecting to resources. Uh, so there's a variety of times throughout um, a disease progression that uh, a person can benefit from palliative care services. Mm-hmm. And tell us, do palliative care services extend to the caregiver? Yes. The patient and family are a unit of care. So caregivers are provided education, training, support, connection to services within the community, counseling. Some programs uh, may even provide respite to give the caregiver a break. Mm-hmm. And, and is, is that typically done alongside the patient or is that done in a separate, a separate visit? It can be done either way. Um, Oftentimes, uh, one of the hallmarks of palliative care is a family meeting. Mm -hmm. And so that is the opportunity to get everyone in the room together with several members of the palliative care team to talk about what um, the person's understanding of their disease is, what their concerns are. It allows time for the family to, to express their concerns as well. 
And again, if that's not the appropriate um, desire of the patient and their family, they can be met with separately. But ideally, we like to help to get everybody on the same page. And so a couple times you have mentioned an interdisciplinary team or a palliative care team. Can you just take um, a couple of minutes and walk us through who is on that team or those teams and what roles do they each play? Sure. You are going to see some variation from program to program, but typically a palliative care team includes a physician, nurses, social workers, and chaplains. Um, Some programs do have a a pharmacist and um, trained non-clinical staff as part of their team. All of these uh, members of the team have specialized training, and the physician and the nurses are going to focus more on symptom management um, as part of their role. All members of the team are going to engage the patient and family in conversations about what matters most to them, discuss uh, advanced care planning, and help them um, identify what their goals of of care are. Um, Nurses uh, and social workers also help provide coordination of care. The social workers in some programs also provide individual and family counseling and then um, connect patients to community resources and chaplains are there to provide spiritual support. So it really is, you know, when, you know, I heard you say the word symptom control, you know, it really is the, the mind and the body and the soul mm-hmm. provided, you know, cared for by this, this team. Yes, it, it, it really is. Um, you know, it's no good for us to just focus on a physical pain without understanding what other concerns that individual has. Um, I've had that experience where we were very focused on someone's physical pain, but as we really explored their situation, they were in the midst of some pretty heavy life events. They were in the middle of a divorce, and they were having a faith crisis, and actually it was more uh, adding the chapel for uh, more periods of time actually um, was better for that physical pain than the medications that we were using in that example. Mm, That does not surprise me. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you um, just mention as a a part of this team concept, is there, you know, one point person who sort of calls the shots? So, you know, in the example that you just gave, who would have identified the need to bring the chaplain into that situation? Some teams are physician-led and some teams are nurse-led. Um, it just depends on the, sometimes it depends on the maturity of the program. It depends on um, their reimbursement structure. Um, but typically, a physician or a nurse is the quarterback of that team and helps uh, with the care coordination. Mm-hmm. Great. Of course, I'm going to throw in the, the importance of our listeners if you're a patient who is interested in receiving palliative care or you're already receiving palliative care, it's incredibly important to make sure that the quarterback of your team, the, the physicians or the nurses or whoever that is, is well aware of what your, your needs are. Absolutely. It doesn't work unless we um, really have the, the person needing that service be very engaged with that team. And really, that is the biggest intervention of the team is to sit down and have a conversation with that individual to understand what, what really matters to them, what their concerns are, and how can we help address those concerns. 
um, to minimize their stresses and provide support for them. So we are getting ready to go to a commercial break, but I'm going to ask you um, a question, kind of a personal question. And I'm just curious, was there a life experience that you you, you saw or that you had that really um, made you see the value and importance of, of palliative care as you moved into to choosing this as a profession? My uh, my personal experience really happened after I was already in this work. Um, when I when I first got into hospice and palliative care, it was hospice that I first was uh, exposed to, and I just wondered immediately why all of healthcare wasn't based on that model of care because mm-hmm. it just really made sense to me. Um, I was lucky enough to have some of that experience to deal with the death of both of my parents. My father died of dementia in 2010. My mother died of cardiac disease in 2016. Um, My frustration is that while I'm in this profession and help develop palliative care programs, both of them could have benefited from community-based palliative care and it wasn't available to them at that time in either of those instances. So I feel pretty passionate about... um, expanding community-based palliative care services for all individuals with serious illness. It could just benefit so many um, people. And most of us uh, are out in the community and hopefully not too often in the hospital. So we need to provide those services out where people are. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, We have got to take a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this important conversation with Lori Bishop and see how palliative care can help people facing a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. I'm going to say living with a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. The Cancer Support Community is proud to create and bring you this important series on metastatic breast cancer and appreciates Lilly Oncology for providing the educational grant to allow us to do so. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. 
This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House, President of the Cancer Support Community, sitting in for your regular host, Kim Tebaldo, today, who is away, and we'll be back with you next week. Our show today is about palliative care and how those services can help people living with a serious illness like metastatic breast cancer. Our guest is Lori Bishop, who's the Vice President of Palliative and Advanced Care at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Lori is a nurse by profession, but has been working at the senior executive level for many years. Recently, she joined the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization to focus on palliative care and care for those with advanced illness. And Lori, I just have to remind our listeners that I I just agreed with the comment that you made prior to the break that it's so important to expand palliative care services and make sure that they're available for patients, not only on the inpatient setting or in a hospital setting, but in the community setting where a lot of people are living very active lives, but may need some assistance with a little symptom control. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a great opportunity out there. And I think, um, you know, there's a, a challenge with the reimbursement around that, that um, is, uh, work in progress, but I see promise in there. Um, we do have some managed care providers that are starting to pay for those services, and I think that others will, will follow suit. Mm-hmm. And there's so much data that just shows that, that people just live so much better, and healthcare utilization mm-hmm. is diminished if we can take care of symptoms early. Correct. Yeah. So... You know, we talked earlier that people are living longer than ever with metastatic breast cancer, years and years and years. And, you know, there are evidence that patients with advanced cancer could really, really benefit for palliative care, like we just said. So talk to us about how someone who is diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or an advanced illness can, can get the most out of palliative care today. I would say, first of all, ask for palliative care services. Um, even uh, at the time of diagnosis, it's it's great to meet that team. They can help you kind of just um, walk through what does this even mean for you in your life and how might it change your life and, and just help you process it. 
But at any time uh, during that, um, during your care, you can ask for those services. And then when you meet with the palliative care team, really share with them what matters most to you, what your concerns are. It doesn't have to be just about symptoms. Um, If financial concerns or concerns about your family are your main concerns, let the team know. They'll make sure you get connected to the right resources to deal with those concerns. Um, And don't be afraid ever to speak up and ask questions. Um, If you don't understand something that's being told to you, you know, that team can really help you. Sometimes they can be a translator between the medical jargon and, you know, what it's really, um, what is really meant by some of those terms. And I know oftentimes when we're in a in a visit, in an appointment, you, you um, think you're going to ask these questions, but you might get overwhelmed or the appointment might not have the time. So, you know, that's when you can turn to your palliative team. They're an added support for you and for your oncology team to help bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And so walk us a little bit through, you know, how that conversation would happen if you're a, if you're a patient you know, when would you raise palliative care um, as a part of the treatment conversation, and who should you bring it up with? Well, that's a that's a great question. I, I think ideally we say um, it should be introduced at the time of diagnosis, but I, I think also it's highly unlikely that um, an individual just getting that diagnosis is going to think to bring that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think any time you're struggling with something or you want additional support with something that's happening, um, it's appropriate to ask your oncologist, hey, do you have access to palliative care? Oncology is very supportive of palliative care services, and they're actually required to have palliative care services available for their patients. So they're likely going to be able to connect you with a palliative care service. Um, And then really I say whenever there's a fork in your road, whatever that fork might be, it might be a symptom that you and the oncologist are working on trying to get a handle on, but maybe it would be helpful to bring in another set of eyes to work with that symptom. It may be uh, more on the terms of emotional support, maybe um, struggling with some depression or, you know, just some existential angst about, you know, what is, where do I fit in? This has derailed my plan for my life and I don't know how to get back on my, on my track. Um, so anytime you have a fork in the road, it's, it's appropriate to ask your oncologist if you're not getting um, connected through your oncologist, you can certainly go online um, and find information on palliative care services. Um, Get Palliative Care is a great example. Um, And then uh, the organization I work for, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, actually has a map of palliative care providers on our website, too. So there's a lot of ways you can get help. Um, But I would start with your oncology team first and ask there. Mm-hmm. And I love the examples that you gave because, like we said in the first segment, we're we're it. There's a lot of symptom management that goes on with palliative care, but when we talk about that, we're not just talking about physical symptoms or side effects from treatment. We're talking about mind, body, and soul here. Right. 
one of the things I think is really important to bring up around palliative care is that it can be administered alongside of active treatment for your cancer. And could you talk a little bit about how the palliative care team works alongside of the oncology team? Sure. Usually, usually that initial consult with your palliative care team starts with a referral from your oncology team. And so there's already some communication and understanding uh, from that referral. And then that communication continues to be a two-way street as you work with both teams. So there's not... um, a disagreement or they're, they're not out of step with each other, they're informing each other. So if things become apparent in your conversation with your palliative care team about a certain direction or change you want to take in your treatment plan, then that gets communicated to your oncologist. And the same with your oncologist. If um, maybe you haven't been to the palliative team for a while and they see that you're struggling with some uh, a symptom or might need uh, some assistance beyond um, what they can provide or have time to provide at that moment, they'll come back to the palliative team. But there's great communication and collaboration along the way. They are not, and nor should they ever be at odds with each other. Um, that's that's not the way they work. They're, they're making sure that there's communication, that everyone understands, so that your your wishes and what matters most to you gets addressed by the whole team. Mm-hmm. Let's um, let's let's throw out a, a few examples of some some side effects um, that people might be feeling, or some physical symptoms that people might be feeling. So, you know, there are some some people who are living with a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis or other advanced illness um, who experience pain. So, can you talk about the way in which the palliative care team might address pain with that with that patient? Pain is a common symptom of any advanced or serious illness. Palliative care physicians and nurses have additional education and certification that includes in-depth training on pain and symptom management. So, you know, they're going to really examine the type of pain to determine what treatment options might be appropriate. At the same time, they're going to make sure they bring in other members of the palliative team to see what other types of pain and suffering that individual is experiencing that might be manifesting themselves in physical pain. And so that holistic approach, because all of those systems within a person are interrelated, by, by treating pain holistically, we can sometimes decrease the need for some medications. Um, sometimes we identify that, um, again, as we gave in our earlier example, the chaplain uh, visit or the social worker providing some counseling or maybe facilitating even some counseling between the patient and family members can relieve some of those pains. So it's really important that we look at not only the medications, which your nurse and your physician are going to have expertise in and are going to really understand how to use those medications and also additional medications they can bring in that maybe enhance the pain medications, but you've also got that social worker, that chaplain, you've got access oftentimes to a pharmacist with that expertise as well that can really uh, make sure that it's well-managed and then well-controlled and then provide you with the tools and resources as well to keep on top of that. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I love to give the example of a man who is working in New York City, Dr. Locator, Mario Locator. We've had him on the show before to just really illustrate some of the things that you've said about palliative care and how it should be brought on as early in the diagnosis process as possible um, because it really is intended to help people live with side effects and it may not be pain it may be something like nausea you know it could be if somebody is you know going into menopause or being treated with hormones hot flashes and the things that come alongside there you know when I think about the work that he does he does a lot to help with skin reactions that may be um, due to the treatment or um, hair loss that may be you know due to the treatment and so I always think about that to really try to emphasize that we're not talking about end of life care we're really talking no. about how to help you live better with your disease while you're being treated and beyond the treatment. Right, right. And sometimes even using, um, you know, uh, antidepressant meds are a great example for some types of nerve pain, but also they've been found to help with sometimes with the hot flashes. And so, you know, that's the interesting thing about palliative care is that um, there's such great collaboration between uh, the specialists that are in palliative care that um, there's a good understanding of using medications in different ways that sometimes um, can impact some of these symptoms and minimize them that um, aren't the typical primary reason you would use that medication. But we find that, that it actually improves some of these other symptoms as a secondary benefit. Mm-hmm. And gosh, what a great opportunity to have that many smart people thinking about you <laughs> and how to help Absolutely. you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you've got lots of people that have gone before you that they've that all this learning and all the sharing of that learning amongst the field of palliative medicine is pretty incredible. So yeah, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of expertise um, on your team when you pull in that palliative care team. Yeah, that's terrific. We have got to take a quick commercial break, and we will continue our conversation with Lori Bishop in just a few minutes. The Cancer Support Community is proud to create and bring you our special series on metastatic breast cancer and appreciates Lilly Oncology for providing the educational grant to allow us to do so. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we'll be right back after this short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. 
Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, and we are so fortunate to have with us Lori Bishop, who is the Vice President of Palliative and Advanced Care at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Lori was recognized as a top 100 great Iowa nurses in 2009 and received the Iowa Spirit of Hospice Award in 2001. Lori, we're so happy to have you here. Before we um, jump back in, I wanted to share with you something interesting that our research team came across. The word palliative has its origin in the Latin verb palliere, which means to cloak. So the metaphor that palliative care cloaks or disguises symptoms or side effects is is kind of interesting to me. I thought I would just throw that that fun fact out, given what we've just what we've just talked about. That's great. You know, a lot of people um, joke about palliative care. No one understands what it is. So, um, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, So I appreciate your defining that. Um, So let's talk about evidence that palliative care can help patients with cancer stay in treatment longer. And, you know, what do we know? We mentioned earlier that there, that there are data that would show the, the impact of palliative care, but tell us a little bit about that. There is quite a bit of data out there that really um, demonstrates that patients that receive palliative care services while receiving um, their treatment live longer have a higher quality of life, and actually um, reduces the total cost of care, most likely um, because you are not spending as much time um, visiting the emergency room and getting hospitalized. So it's of great benefit um, to anyone with an advanced illness, but particularly studies in um, metastatic cancer. And so, you know, we've talked a bit about the symptom and side effect manager management, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm sure our listeners also want to understand, you know, how does palliative care improve both the patient and caregiver quality of life jointly? And, you know, does this really help them live the best life that they can? Can you share with us a story that might illustrate that? Sure. Um, one of the patients that comes to mind for me is... Um, uh, an individual who um, actually t- 
traveled quite a bit to seek out treatments um, from a variety of um, sources across the country. Um, just um, wanted to make sure she got um, everything she could to continue to um, live out her life and live well and um, manage her disease. And she finally got um, connected with palliative care in one of her travels. And rather than start with the um, physician, she actually met with the uh, social worker and the chaplain first with her family and, um, and then met with the physician. And her experience with doing that helped her immensely because it really helped her think about, hey, what... Um, what am I? What are my priorities? What 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 matters to me? And kind of helped frame a, a richer discussion when she actually met with the physician. Um, and then you can continue these conversations in your family once you've opened the door um, to some of those conversations. They're going to change. They're going to change when you're feeling well. They're going to change when you're not feeling well. Um, your, you know, what you think you want um, at some points might be different than what you want later. I think that's the richness of it, though, is just you're, you're um, sharing the journey together and you're able to really talk about things. And once the elephant in the room's just kind of talked about, it's, it's, it's tolerable, so, so to speak. You see a lot of people that once they just kind of say, okay, we've, we kind of know what we're dealing with and everybody's kind of understands what's going on here, let's just get on with life here. What do, where are we going on vacation? So um, I just think it's, it's so simplistic and yet um, it's just so impactful in um, letting us just be a whole person and not just a disease. I think that's so very important that I see you as an individual and not just your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, and you heard me say at the beginning of the, the show that this topic is particularly um, of interest to me and I feel passionate about it. You know, and so I'll, I'll disclose to you and to our listeners that I lost my dad to leukemia about a year and a half ago. And I remember vividly that, you know, he was having a side effect to uh, an antibiotic and neurologic side effect and the physician you know was saying I'll I'm going to call in the neurologist I'm going to call in the neurologist and because of my background as an oncology nurse and mm-hmm. as a hospice nurse you know I remember negotiating to say great you can call in the neurologist only if you call in palliative care mm-hmm. and that made all the difference in the world uh, for him, you know, and it was the mm-hmm. palliative care specialist that walked in, pulled a chair out, sat down at his level, you know, looked at him and and, and spoke directly to him and, you know, to your point, made mm-hmm. all the difference in the world. And, you know, I wonder, you know, some of some of our research, and, and I think that, you know, you alluded to this earlier, um, it talks about the, the lack that the, the lack of knowledge that even some of the healthcare professionals have about palliative care and and really how to work alongside of those those professionals and you know I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on you know how do we really how do we change that are there you know programs ongoing to help educate general practitioners and oncologists and other specialists on palliative care as a as a tool for them yeah, I, I'm pretty excited and optimistic about what's happening out there. First of all, I think there's a recognition that all practitioners should get education and training on primary palliative care, which really starts with being um, good at 
pulling that chair up alongside the bedside or um, wherever and um, having that conversation. And so that's a skill. There's an art to that, but it can be taught. And part of it is um, uh, providing that training for all clinicians. And so there's work going on out in the field to do that because we're not going to have enough um, specialty palliative care to do it all. And so some of that training needs to spread to other clinicians across um, healthcare. And that is happening right now. There's great things out there like Vital Talks, um, the Conversation Guide, um, and then even projects like the Conversation Project, which just brings it to the consumer and says, hey, you can start the conversation. Don't You don't have to wait. Um, so there's a lot of great things out there, um, tools and resources for the generalist. And then... Um, recognizing that who should get the palliative care service then and and trying to kind of make sure that those that can benefit the most from the specialty get connected to that specialty. So there's a lot of great work going on. There's a um, act in Congress that allows for some uh, uh, monies to help with that training, and so we're very supportive of that um, as well. Mm-hmm. So let's step back a second and tell our readers a little, or our listeners a little bit more about you, Lori, and um, what what really moved you into choosing nursing as uh, your profession. Well, I have wanted to be a nurse ever since I can remember. Um, I got in trouble on the first one of the first days of kindergarten because I wanted to go in the street and rescue a squirrel that got run over by a car. <laughs> and uh, it's just in my DNA. Um, I always was that w- one that wanted to help the other kids who were hurt, or it, it's just who I am. Um, then in my career, I did a lot of variety of nursing initially and thought, gosh, am I gonna, when am I going to find my niche? And when I really got to hospice, I found my niche just because I love the model so much, and I hoped that I could live long enough to see that model moving upstream beyond hospice care, and so I just feel really blessed and privileged to be part of the movement of getting uh, that service moved upstream in palliative care. Mm -hmm. And it has changed so much um, and grown so much. It's just uh, amazing to to have watched that over over time, and I'm I'm so excited to be able to talk to you knowing that you've played such a large role in, in making all of that happen. Um, Can you take some time and tell us about your organization, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization? What does it do and what is its mission? The National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization is the largest member organization representing hospice and palliative care organizations and professionals in the United States. The mission of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization is to lead and mobilize social change for improved care at the end of life. And the vision of the organization is a world where individuals and families facing serious illness, death, and grief will experience the best that humankind can offer. And how can patients learn more about your organization? We have a website, um, www.nhpco.org. Um, That's probably the best way to um, learn more. Um, We also have a section 
specifically for consumers, caringinfo.org. So there's a lot of great resources on palliative care and other services on that um, website. Um, and you can certainly contact us anytime. We're always happy to hear from people um, who are looking for resources. We can connect you with resources if you call us as well. Let me ask you this quick question before we go to a commercial break. So if, if a patient or a family member calls you or goes to your website, will they be able to find a palliative care specialist in their area? Can you help them with that? In the middle of our main webpage, um, you scroll down, you'll see a green uh, box that says find a provider, mm-hmm. and um, you can go into that uh, map and you need to just change it from a hospice provider to a palliative care provider, and you can look at your area of the country and find a provider that way. You can also call us, and we're happy to do some work on that end as well. Terrific. And we're going to repeat that at the end of the show because I think that's an amazing service for for people. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. The Cancer Support Community is proud to create and bring you this important series on metastatic breast cancer and appreciates Lilly Oncology for providing the educational grant to allow us to do so. We will be right back after this commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. 
Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is part of a special series on spotlighting metastatic breast cancer. I'm your guest host, Linda House, and sitting in for Kim Tebaldo today, who is away. And we have been having an in-depth conversation with Lori Bishop about palliative care and how palliative care can be administered alongside of active treatment for metastatic breast cancer to really allow patients to live as well as possible with their illness for as long as possible. And I say this every time, but I really mean it, that I cannot believe that today's episode is nearly over. You know, we have so many questions that we still want to ask. And, you know, Lori, I know that we've already talked to you about coming back for another show. So um, we'll <laughs> let our listeners um, know that this isn't the end of, of hearing from you on, on this and the other topics. So, you know, Lori, one of the things that, that we know about is the severe financial impact um, of a cancer diagnosis. And you had mentioned earlier that there um, is some question about coverage for palliative care. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, right now, there isn't a lot of regulation around palliative care services. There is the medical subspecialty, so a provider, a physician or a nurse practitioner is able to bill for their portion of that service. Depending on where you get the service, you may or may not have co-pays. Um, it also depends on your benefits of your insurance company. Um, but I will also say there's a lot of palliative care programs out there providing a comprehensive palliative care service that are not billing for all of their services right now. It's covered under grants or other um, things because they feel very compelled to provide the service. So it's um, it's hard to say what you'd have to pay. Typically, it's more of a copay, just like you would pay for a clinic visit. Um, but uh, you really need to find out from your uh, insurance company. And actually, that is a good way for them to realize that their beneficiaries want, their members want those services, so it never hurts to ask the insurance company. Um, but likely, uh, you're going to be able to find somebody who can meet your needs, whether there's a cost or no cost. Great. Thank you. And I know that this is going to be a short segment here at the end of the show, so I just want to uh, repeat a few key messages for um, our listeners. And number one, we talked about this earlier, but I want you to, to just address it again. A patient who has cancer and also pursues palliative care can still be treated for their cancer. Right. Palliative care is not the same as hospice care, and palliative care can be provided at the same time you're getting treatment, active treatment. And the idea around palliative care is to manage physical and psychosocial symptoms or side effects to ensure that patients live as well with their cancer for as long as they can. 
Absolutely. Where do patients receive palliative care? In what type of setting? Palliative care can be received in a hospital setting. That's where you're going to see the majority of palliative care. It also can be in a clinic setting, and it can be in your own home. How do patients and caregivers find palliative care providers? You can ask your oncologist. That's a great place to start. Oncology provides palliative care services of some sort, so they should be able to connect you with a palliative care service. You can go to the nhpco.org website, and in the green box, halfway down the page, go to find a provider, and then change that um, to uh, search by a palliative care provider, and you can get um, find some providers on our map. And when should palliative care be brought into the patient's treatment plan? Ideally, palliative care should be introduced at the time of diagnosis, um, and then it can be any time you are at a fork in the road and need some supportive services, whether that be for symptom management or some emotional or psychological or social support. Maybe it's financial concerns. At any time, you can ask for palliative care. And we still have three minutes before the close of the show, and I want to give those minutes to you. And I'd like for you to share what is the most important thing or two that you want our listeners to understand or remember about palliative care. Thank you, Linda. I really want our listeners to advocate for themselves. Ask for palliative care services. You deserve these services. They can help you live longer with a higher quality of life. And they are a supportive, an added layer of support for your oncologist team. So it's not in conflict with that team. And it can just really also help your family and engage in um, just living well. So I encourage everyone who is facing a serious illness to ask for palliative care services. Thank you. And Lori, thank you so much for coming on the show today and really helping our listeners better understand palliative care and how they can access those services. It's incredible service that you've done for us today. Thank you, Linda. It's been a privilege. To learn more about the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, please go to the website, www.nhpco.org. The Cancer Support Community is proud to bring this content to you and really appreciates Lilly Oncology for providing the educational grant for this series on metastatic breast cancer. It's been my pleasure to host you today, and Kim Tebaldo, your regular host, will be back with you soon. And as I had mentioned earlier in the show, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. For more information about our programs, please visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888-793-9355. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.